But let's read Philippians 2, 19 to 30 together. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for you all and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So we're in Philippians, and we've traveled quite a way so far. But the main idea from chapter 1, verse 27, which says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, is still being fleshed out. And one way that we do this, one way we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, is by looking to others who are doing that as well. And that's the big idea from today. Right up front, living worthy of the gospel means looking to and having godly examples to follow. That's what we'll see. But just think about imitation with me for a moment, because there's an important caveat I want you to understand. You've heard the saying, you are what you eat. And you may know that there's a whole lot of food now, plant-based food that is designed to mimic and imitate meat and chicken. It's made to have the texture, the flavor, the look, the smell of a cow, but it is made from plants. And they're trying to imitate and copy that really, really well. Or, when we think of imitation or mimicking, we may think of the art world and some of the famous forgeries that are installed at museums that are pretending to be the real thing. Some famous paintings in the world actually have purpose-put forgeries. They rotate them so that you can't steal the the real one, and if you were to get it, you'd get the wrong one sort of thing. So that's sort of imitation. Something pretending to be something else that it's not something not as genuine as the real thing, sometimes with an air of illegitimacy about it as well. And as we think about gospel examples, and when you hear me say we should imitate others, please know that I'm not implying that we trick people. Please know that I'm not trying that we we imply that we trick God and others with our godliness and piety or moralism, and I want everyone to think I'm so wonderful, when really I'm not. We're not in the business of deceiving or deception or pretending. May I just say that if you have been deceived and tricked by those in the church, as a minister in the church, how deeply sorry I am that has happened. God is a God of light and truth. He calls his people to follow him that way. And deception in the name of God is evil. And God will hold to account those who have taken advantage of others in that way. So when I say imitation, I'm not implying some trickery here, like the artwork, or something that's looking like something it's not, like the the plant-based food. What I'm interested in is, is Philippians 2, 1 to 11, those famous verses 
of examples that bow the knee to King Jesus willingly. Examples that uphold the glory of God and want to live their life for Him, forsaking every other God or idol or anything, but just live for Jesus. And we see that today. We have here in these few verses visible living proof of two examples who are living out the mind of Christ, who are self-sacrificing for Jesus for the sake of the gospel. These two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are genuine. They're not tricking. They're not deceiving. They're imitating Jesus. And Paul puts them up and says, let's imitate them and welcome and honor people like that. So, please hear that well when we look at that. So, four points to explain this. We'll jump all over the 11 verses today, and then we'll end with a few thoughts, what it means for us to take seriously the command in verse 29 to welcome and honor people like this. That's where the imperative lands, and that's where we'll end it as well. So, a couple of thoughts, four, four points as we go along. Firstly is, it's actually God's will that we wouldn't be alone. So, right from page one of the Bible, God made people to be together with him and with others. Marriage, friendship, partnerships, they're God's will for humanity. Adam and Eve worked, worshipped, walked with God together. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see a fracturing of those relationships. Then again, in Jesus, we've been brought into a redeemed community. Firstly, by being reconciled back to God through Jesus. Secondly, that means we've been reconciled to one another And thirdly, it means we've been given a community with a Godward outlook to it. This is the Christian community. Australian author uh, Tony Payne has a a wonderful illustration to illustrate this, and uh, I'll put it on the screen. It's all credit goes to him, and I should have written that the man in the middle is Jesus, not me or you. Um, He's the center of our community. See, a Christian community does not exist to meet our need to belong. Rather, in in Jesus, we find belonging in the triune God. We're in Christ. We belong to Him. And then from that position, we are given the community of those who also love Jesus for the glory of God that we belong to. This means we enjoy coffee and donuts and getting to know people who share the same vocational interests. But we're mindful that all those spaces that we live in and kick around in help us talk about Jesus on a more personal level. They help us be missional. They help us pray, grieve, share. Which brings us to Epaphroditus. You see him in chapter 2, verse 25. He's a co-worker with Paul, but he's also taking care of Paul's needs while Paul is in prison, you see. That's very practical, very missional, very spiritual, you see. You see, God has made us not to be alone. We've been brought back in relationship with God and a new type of relationship to others in which we work together to bring Jesus to more people and support those who do that as well. That's Epaphroditus. Practically, it means we serve from being full of the love of Jesus, accepted and safe in Him, working from that fullness, not to get full. We serve full and empty ourselves. We don't begin empty to get ourselves full by serving, you see, because Jesus has already done that. So we're made for relationships, that's the first thing, and we see that with the relationship Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus and the Philippian church have. But secondly, lest you think gospel partnerships are just mission, actually they're more than that. Gospel partnerships are more than mission. In 2.22, yes, Timothy said to be working hard with Paul in spreading the gospel. He's like a son to, to Paul 
and, and they're doing the same work, father and son, spiritual father and son. But in 2 verse 20, Timothy said to have genuine concern for their welfare, which Paul elaborates on and says this is to have the same interests as Jesus in verse 21. It's interesting that Paul doesn't say to Timothy, Timothy has your interests in mind. He says, Timothy has the interests of Jesus in mind. What does that mean? Well, Timothy is a real-life example of what it means to have the mind of Christ and to put the needs of others above his own. And Paul wants to publicly commend him so the church would know what godly examples look like. Sometimes you need to be shown and told what something is like. To be concerned about uh, their relationship with Jesus means he wants them to be spiritually healthy. He wants to share himself, both practically, spiritually, materially, with others. That's why Paul wants to send him in verse 2.23. Serving not for status, wealth, fame, or reputation, but serving because he loves them to bits and wants to see Jesus magnified in their life. So, uh, Rico Tice is an English author, and he wrote a book called Faithful Leaders, and he makes the comment in there that we follow the most powerful man in the universe who used all that power to serve. We don't live this way, he goes on to say, because we have to. Actually, we get to be like Jesus. How wonderful. We follow the most powerful man who used all his power to serve, and we get to be like that. This is Timothy. This is Epaphroditus. He gets to be like Jesus, using his life to serve others, to bring about a fuller realization of God's grace among them. You know, when Boris Johnson was the Prime Minister, and I had to edit that this week, because it did say when he is the Prime Minister, or he's not anymore, but um, it came out, and as you know, that him and his staff didn't do the right thing in lockdown. And all this stuff went on about it, about the restrictions. They said one thing, they did another. But it wasn't just him. It was the Chief Medical Officer of Scotland said to everyone, stay home. And then every weekend she was travelling to her holiday home. Then a key British epidemiologist who was critical in... in, um, talking about different lockdowns and why we should stay at home, was revealed to be um, going to visit her lover in her home every night of the week. And at that moment, when it all came out, the right to call people to make a sacrifice evaporated because they weren't living it. Stay at home, but we'll go out ourselves, was the message everyone heard. And so too it is with us. All we say, all we do is for the glory of God, yes. Yes. And it brought home to me how this happens at a funeral this week of a dear godly man. And as every person spoke at this man's funeral, a key theme emerged and kept coming back to. And it was this. He lived what he preached. For 50 years, his actions were in sync with the gospel he taught all around the world. He served in love as he taught of God's grace. And that's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? He came from heaven to earth, served us by dying to meet our greatest need... And he continues to intercede before God every day. And that is how Timothy and Epaphroditus want to live. That is how they are living. Consider in verse 25, Paul describes the character of Aphroditus in five ways. He's a brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and taking care of Paul's needs. To be a co-worker implies they're both evangelistic and missional. They actually think Jesus is the best news ever. And they want everyone to know A fellow soldier means they're on the same battlefront. They're doing a work with Paul. But it seems that as he went to travel to Paul to take care of his needs from the Philippian church, he got sick, really sick. 
It was about a month and a half to travel from where the Philippian church was to Paul, and along that way, Epaphroditus almost died. He was so unwell. And now he's distressed that the Philippians are distressed about him. He's unwell, he's faithfully met Paul's needs, but he's homesick to be with the people he loves to bits. And they want to have him back. And so Paul writes, assuring the Philippian church that he's very glad to send him back so that they can be less anxious. That's the community they've been saved into. It's missional, it's practical. They're growing healthy churches and healthy Christians. That's what they have in mind. Thirdly, is that gospel examples have the well-being of others in mind. You see, when you have the interests of Jesus, as Timothy does, when, you, when that's in your mind, you actually are in the best position to care for and love others. Now, there's a curious moment in, in verse 23 when Paul says, Timothy has genuine concern, but I want to keep him with me for a little bit longer. And it sounds a bit like Paul is being self-centered here, isn't it? Like, I need him. He really loves you, but I just have to have him. Um, what's going on? Well, it's not exactly... There's a problem with that. Um, Timothy, as Paul says, has a proven track record of a ministry that speaks to his character. And I'll send him soon, but there's a few things he's working on with me here in prison that we have to sort out first. It's not that self-interests are always wrong. There is a point, yes, when they intersect and can override and overshadow the interests of Jesus. But Paul and Timothy weren't having this issue. You know, a strength in our culture today is, is that we are very self-aware people, increasingly self-aware. We're sensitive to the burdens of life. People often take off time to work and rest when they're sick, not push through. That's a testimony today that so many people are away because they're unwell. And there's much to commend in this. A healthy understanding of our capacity and character and competencies is important, and it's essential to good gospel work as well. Knowing who you are helps to advance the gospel and care for others. Burnt out, stressed, flaky, grumpy, argumentative Christians are not effective. And for some reason we don't know about, Timothy needs to finish the work with Paul before he can go. And Paul's assuring them the delay isn't without good reason. He really is concerned, he has their interest in mind, but right now he just needs to finish this work and then he'll go. And practically... It's a great example of being mindful that we finish well what we start and that we rest and that's just as important if we want to serve and advance the gospel. Timothy's an example of someone who is steady and Paul puts him up and says he actually really wants to come but he has to finish this first and that's a really good thing. The final point is in verse 29 where the two commands are welcome and honour gospel examples. Welcome is coupled with two other phrases to show us what Paul has in mind. We welcome in the Lord and we welcome with great joy. In the Lord with great joy. And that, that's pretty much a summary of Philippians. Christian relationships are in the Lord and there's great joy in gospel partnership. And honouring people means those who sacrifice for the gospel. And right there we have the two markers of someone who's genuine. Joy and interested in the needs of others. Do you want to find a godly example to look to in the stage of life you're in? Parent or single or married or retiring or whatever it is. Well, are they full of joy in Jesus? Are they amazed at God's grace to them? Are they humbly, joyfully serving who risk it? Like, like Epaphroditus who sacrificed a great deal to travel and come to see them and care for, for Paul. 
And Timothy too, he's working hard for the gospel in 2 verse 22. These are people that have proven themselves as faithful workers for Jesus. And Paul is putting them up and saying, look to them, they're the example that we should have in the church. Which means look for the joy that drips from others as they serve to meet the needs of others. And then look for those that are flexible too. And by that, we see Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus adjusting their plans to care for the Philippians. In verse 15, Paul says, I think it's necessary to send Epaphroditus back. I'm sure the plan was for him to stay there a lot longer than he did. In verse 23, Paul says, I hope to send Timothy. And then in 24, Paul says, I anticipate that I'll see you soon. You see, they're not so attached to their agenda that they miss the God opportunities as they arise. It's another example of putting the needs of others above our own. Happily, joyful to adjust what they do to serve others in the name of Jesus. Paul is anxious, he says, that that Epaphroditus gets back. Look for people who are like that, joyfully flexible for the sake of the gospel. Look to people who are more interested in the needs of others than themselves. Look for people who manage change in their life by asking what's best for the gospel instead of what's best and most comfortable for me. Look for people who have the well-being of others in mind. And that's why Paul publicly commends Timothy and Epaphroditus. So the church would know what it looks like to welcome and imitate those worthy of the gospel, to welcome and honour people like that. Not because they're so wonderful that we should be like them and forget Jesus, but because they'd never seen Jesus. We've never seen Jesus, but we have examples of those who bump around in life that we can look to that love him. So then here's what this means for us. And I want to end by talking about us as a gathering and then us as individuals. So as a gathering, here's what I think we take away. First, that we commend one another. We commend one another. That means we recognize everyone's different and all important. As the body, we're not all the same. It means we talk about what godly examples look like in the church, how to find them like we're doing today in these few verses. It means we celebrate joyfully what people do for the name of Jesus, how they risk for the gospel. But I'm not talking about the big things like our missionaries we support. Yes, that's one, but consider no one ever gives you kudos for doing an evening devotion with your kids. I was talking to the Roys and they said they, they did it with their kids and, and it never made the news headlines. You know, Damien and Roy read the Bible with their kids tonight. Like, it just didn't happen. No one gives you kudos and says, well, then, when you pray on the way to work because you know you've got a stressful meeting and you just, you're anxious. No one ever celebrates when you have people in your home to open the Bible or you see someone make a decision to follow Jesus or put him first in this work decision and, and that has eternal consequence. Yet, most of the time it goes by unnoticed. It's not headline stuff, but, but actually as a church we value that. We don't value it so you can make the headlines. We value it because in the name of Jesus, that's what it means to follow him and glorify God. And we want to put forward examples so that others know what to do and how to do it as well. In all things, we keep coming back to Jesus, of course. Chapter 2, 1 to 11, our example, our source of forgiveness and grace for when we do get it wrong, and wrong we will get it. But we value and cherish commending one another in what we're doing for the name of Jesus. It also means we create different sized spaces to point others to Jesus too. What I mean by that is our Sunday service is just one way that we do that. Then we talk over coffee 
We meet midweek with individuals or others. And it's in those spaces that we position ourselves in the best way to imitate and mimic others who are like Jesus. It's also where you find the examples, you see. As you gather in different groups, you get to know people of all ages and stages of life. You see what it looks like to follow Jesus as they travel the road of life. And then you say, hmm, I might imitate that. Not everything, but just that. That's what it means for us as a gathering, commending one another and making sure we're creating spaces to point each other to Jesus. And then as individuals, and I I want to personalize it with the word you, but I'm talking to me as well. So when you hear the word you, think Luke as well. Firstly, we turn up, you turn up. If the command is to welcome others, well, you can't do that unless you're present. Remember, he's talking to the church at this point. But not just physically turn up, but attentively turn up to those around you. And there's something beautiful in face-to-face, in-person relationships. More so being present with a group of people who love Jesus. That's part of what we've been saved to. We also recognize that the size of the community helps us as well when we turn up. As we drink coffee, we share snapshots of our life with who we are. We're not going into much detail, but it builds a relationship, a poor community. Then in our community groups, smaller groups, we share more private information we wouldn't share in this space so we can know, care, and support one another. And there may be one-on-one over coffee with a mentor or close friend. You're vulnerable, you open up, and there's accountability. But we turn up. And then we value others. We value others by having an interest of Jesus in our minds, to be self-sacrificing, not self-seeking. Again, it's pictured beautifully in the cross, his incarnation, his dying. And we see it in the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is distressed over them. Timothy is concerned. Paul is anxious over them. Practically, that means, as they're doing, we value others by lamenting with them and listening with them and understanding. We rearrange our calendars, like Paul does, to Timothy's calendar so he can visit the Philippians, you see. Or it might look like practically helping any way we can, like Epaphroditus did to Paul, coming from the Philippian church to care for his needs. And all of it is having the interest of Jesus in our mind and operating from that humble, the humble way of giving up for the sake of others to meet their needs. Which means living worthy of the gospel is both looking to godly examples and being a godly example. The question is, can we say of each other here today, I'll show you how to imitate Jesus in how I read the Bible, what it means to pray, to be a Christian husband, dad, mum, wife, grandparent, to work, to love, to grieve, to behave like a Christian, and to one day imitate me in how I die as well, faithfully trusting him to the end. So let's be a church that asks for God's grace to live worthy of the gospel. And let's encourage each other to do that too pointing everyone back to Jesus as we do it. And maybe over coffee, you would think about and share who has influenced you as a Christian in your life. Is there a person whom you've looked to at one point or another and you've said, they got it right there? Who was it? And then why don't you share that with someone and encourage them? There's an old man I knew once or an elderly woman that did this. And when I was a teenager, I saw this. And who's influenced you as a Christian? Why don't you encourage someone with that over coffee as well? Let's pray. Our great God, you sent us Jesus to rescue, redeem, restore us back to you, and we're so thankful and we're thrilled to bits. 
May that we be full of that. May we be so overflowing with joy in that gospel that it, it's proclaimed upon our lips, that we, we think about the implications in our daily life. And Father, as a gathering, may that be what drives us. So help us, Father, be good examples of those who love Jesus to one another. And may you give us examples too that we can look to of how to glorify you in every season of life we're in. In your name, amen.